Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Thursday edition of Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, our second to last show of 2021 at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good to have Andrew Marsh back in the uh, producer's chair here. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I think your phone's going off. I know. I don't I don't know why. I'm getting Who's something at 7 you this early? No, it's not a text. It's just the endless emails. I told I don't think I said this uh, with our microphones on last week. So I cleared out all of my emails and then the next day I got up and had I think like 64 emails. It's unbelievable how many emails I get. Are you unsubscribing? Yeah, there's a lot of things I've unsubscribed to. A lot of it is they. we get this incessant show prep material that doesn't really apply to us, but I keep it anyway just in case there might be something interesting at some point. Are you talking about the surveys or the what's the most Inter- watched holiday movie in which state? Yeah, and interview offers. It's So anyway, that's, uh, that's what my phone was doing. It was giving me another incessant email. Is this one of those, um, I'm going to pitch you a guest who yes. wrote a book and I'm going to start the email, hello blank. Like, it won't say, hi, Randy. That's it. It'll just say, hello. That's it. I, I will find an example for you, just so that people know what we're dealing with here. No, you can block that uh, email address. They won't know. I don't think that you blocked I it. I just, uh, I, I'm worried right? that at some know. point, somebody will come up with something that's useful for us. That's all. Well, has it been useful? Yeah, I think we've gotten a couple people out of okay, it. Okay, well, then keep it. We yeah. have the relationship expert out of it. Oh, to talk about J-Lo and A-Rod? Well, that was one of your favorite segments of 2021. Great. It's fantastic. (laughs) How about our St. Louis Blues? They're back. They're playing at home. They beat the Oilers 4-2, getting ready for the Winter Classic with a victory. What a way to come out and play before the Winter Classic. The the boys are back. It was great to see the Blues back in action. And it looked like they didn't miss a beat. But, Randy, I want to talk a lot today about Vladimir Tarasenko. He's pretty good. Pretty good. And do you think maybe he's he's reconsidering his stance on how he feels about St. Louis? Because I'm watching, you know, the post-game interview last night with Panger, and he he's done this before. This is not outside of Vladdy's character. But just the way he's looking around at the fans, very effusive in his praise for the fans. He has just been such an unbelievable team player for the Blues this year. He looks clearly healthy and like the Vladimir Tarasenko that the Blues needed and wanted for the past couple years. And I'm just wondering if now's the time to start sending like edible arrangements or something and just let him know that we love him. Not like, a bad idea. How do, we do, how do we go about this? And here's the thing. For us, for everybody that's a Blues fan, Vladdy never said anything. He was never quoted at all. He has complete plausible deniability. Saying, hey, it wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't ask for a trade. Yeah, find the quote. Yeah, exactly. Or Doug Armstrong. Even Doug Armstrong said, the agent came to me. 
glad he's. I didn't know he was coming to you. Well, come on. He's on the payroll. I would imagine he's not yeah. going to talk to Army about moving you without having that conversation okay, with me, you, the client. Let me give you a one-minute story here about the client, okay? The the quote-unquote client in sports. Okay. Greg Maddox was pitching for the Cubs. Loved Chicago. Loved the Cubs. And winds up signing a big contract with the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. 1992, I believe it was. When the Braves come back to Chicago, he's walking down the hall, sticks his head into the assistant general manager's office and said, hey, why am I not here? And the general, and by the way, Maddox represented by Scott Boris, the assistant general manager says, what do you mean? He says, well, you guys never made me an offer. He says, what are you talking about? We made you a better offer than Atlanta did. He said, no, you didn't. I didn't. I never heard about it. And he said, yeah, well, it goes over to his file cabinet says, here it is. Here's the offer we made. We faxed it. Here's the fax uh, verification. And ultimately the uh the the agent scott boris went back to atlanta with the cubs offer and got a better one but maddox told this person in chicago i I would have signed this but he never heard about it from scott boris that's the client that's that's the way sport works at times okay i hear your story I'm processing it. However, this is a different scenario because Vladimir Tarasenko has been asked about the comments that the agent made. Mm -hmm. He's aware of the comments Mm -hmm. that the agent made in the public. So while I'm sure there are agents that do do a lot of dealing without consulting the client or do the dealing and then present the client with the offers, there's no way that Vladimir Tarasenko is unaware of the fact that his agent asked for him to get out. My point is, is that he has plausible deniability. The way that he's playing and the way that he has behaved throughout this entire process mm-hmm. and the way that he speaks about Blues fans and about St. Louis, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what was said. It doesn't no. matter what the agent did. It doesn't matter if he really wanted out of here. If he continues to play at this level and he's like, hey, I really like it here. I want to stay. Blues fans will forget all about yes, that. Yes, we will. <laughs> Last night, 4.03 into the game, he gets the first assist on one guy who's back after more than a month, Robert Thomas's goal. Forced ahead by Cairo to a breakaway. Thomas to Tarasenko to Thomas. They score! Two on the goaltender and they tic-tac-toed it to the back of the net. 15.57 to go. Period number one. Robert Thomas has put the Blues on top. one nothing. About three minutes later, you heard the name of Jordan Cairo. He's also back and he's also scoring. By Tarasenko onto the tape, but Kairou, nice hesitation move. He's in, he shoots, he scores! Club side, Kairou, welcome back. 13 one to go. First period, and it's 2 nothing Blues. Kairou from Tarasenko and Krug at the 6.59 mark. Leon Dreisaitl would score before the period was out. 2-1 Blues after a period. And Bouchard scoring for the Oilers in the second period at the 11.49 mark. But then... At the 1546 plateau. Sends it over the line to Cairo. Down low to Tarasenko. Score! Three points in the game for Vladimir. 414 to go in the second period. And his first goal of the game gives the Blues a 3-2 lead. Brendan Saad scoring for the Blues. We've got all kinds of games going on here. Sorry, that was my computer just oh. popped up. <laughs> Saad scoring for the Blues at the 16-second mark of the third on the power play. Blues win by a score of 4-2. to two, And the head coach, Craig Bruby, becomes just the seventh guy in NHL history to play 1,000 games and win 200 as a coach. I think uh, 
while I was playing, I knew I was going to coach. I think that's part of it. Um, I think that um, I was already thinking about coaching um, before I was done playing, and I looked at the game that way. I've been a, I've been surrounded by some really good uh, players and guys that uh, you know taught me a lot about the game and and things like that. But you know, like I said, you got to have people in your corner, um, and I had. You know, Paul Holmgren, Bob Clark in my corner to start my career as a coach. And um, obviously, Doug Armstrong now is in my corner as a coach. I mean, you got to have people that are willing to obviously give you a chance and um, they believe in you. And that's a big part of it. And so, Barubi's Blues, despite all of the players that have been missing because of injury and because of COVID-19. They lead the Central Division with 41 points. Only the Vegas Golden Knights have more points in the Western Conference than the St. Louis Blues at this point, December 30th, 2021. I really love this Blues team. They have a lot of skill. They're battle-tested. I love the energy that they played with last night. I think Chief has done a magnificent job coaching the team this season. How about the fact that he seemingly always knows which buttons to push or what line combinations to put out there? That Thomas Cairo tarasenko line last night, incredible. Clearly, they were feeling each other. That first goal that we heard, Thomas to Vladdy, back to Thomas. Randy, that's when you're working as one. That that was so fluid, and, and they knew where one another was, and it was working so in sync and so quickly. That was so impressive to me, and I, I just loved watching that line play last night. And Cairo hadn't played since December 11th. And now he's back on the ice three weeks later, and he's scoring goals and assisting on goals and looking like he was never away. Obviously, you know, when you're sitting out, it's, it's kind of tough just watching from up top because, you know, you want to be down there and, you know, playing with the guys, helping them win. So, you know, it's definitely nice that, that I'm back. And, you know, a lot of us are back actually this game, so it was a good, good team win by us today. LGB? And T. And guess what we have on Saturday, Saturday night? Tell me. In Minnesota, we've got the Winter Classic. Yes, we do. At Target Field, it's going to be very cold for the Blues. I'm happy to be watching this game on television. So am I. Winter Classic is on my sports bucket list. I was devastated that I missed the one in St. Louis. I was living in Connecticut at the time. But even though I will very much enjoy watching this, I think this one is something I'm okay missing. I really am. Yeah, I am too. What's, what is it? Negative 14? High of negative four or something? Right, and the game starts at six. It'll be dark when it starts. Oh. So it'll be miserable. John Kioski, our general manager, is going, and I told him yesterday, you better get some boots. Take care of the, the feet and the head. I was telling him to get those hand and feet warmers that you get when you ski, and mm-hmm. I said, buy way more than you think you need yeah, because they run out it. after two to four hours. Just pile those babies in there. They actually played some bowl games last night. Oklahoma was ahead of Oregon 30-3 to at halftime. OU rolls under Bob Stoops. 47 to 32, so Boomer Sooner. Clemson knocks off Iowa State 20 to 13, and it was Maryland 54, Virginia Tech 10, and Michelle in college basketball, Kentucky over Missouri 83-56. And that's talking college basketball. (laughs) That's it. That's what we got for you. We're up and running here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and Andrew with you. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Sick of it. Coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it.
Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And Michelle, here's something that I'm sick of, is that people that should be knowledgeable about sports, and specifically college football, trying to judge the quality of the SEC based on their bowl season. And I get that Florida lost to UCF and that Houston beat Auburn and that Mizzou lost to Army and that Texas Tech beat Mississippi State. And you still got games coming up, North Carolina and South Carolina, Tennessee plays Purdue. You've got Bama, you've got Georgia playing in the semifinals. You've got the Outback Bowl, Arkansas, Penn State. You've got the Citrus, Kentucky, and Iowa. I'm just sick of the fact that people think the SEC is not good because they lost a few bowl games. Hey, let, let's watch some national championship action tonight or tomorrow in which half the teams are from the SEC. And let's see how they do. Yeah, the, the Bulls don't hold the same weight as they used to. No, they don't. And if if you think the SEC is bad, wait till your team joins it. We're looking at you, <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't laugh, Big 12. Yeah, good luck, guys. Yeah. Which one of those two teams do you think will have more success, let's say, in a decade in the SEC? I think it'll be Oklahoma because I know that Joe Castiglione is going to do a great job. I'm confident in Venables as their head coach. Sarkeesian's never been great as a head coach. Not that Venables has, but Venables is going to have more guidance from the administration than Sarkeesian will at Texas. Texas has kind of been the, the leadership of the Texas Athletic Department has been in flux. Yes, it has. And I think Oklahoma on the surface is the obvious answer. But Texas has wanted to be back for so long and hasn't been able to get it done. And now going to the SEC, there's going to be added pressure there. I wonder if they just start giving out unprecedented money to guys to go there. But they've been getting all the best players anyway. They're always a top 10 recruiting school. And it's not worked for them. They've been 7-5. and five. So I don't, I don't know that NIL is going to do them any good. You better have some sort of a structure. You know with Alabama, you know with Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, at least, you know with Georgia under Kirby Smart, that there is a structure in place. They aren't going to be changing coaches every three or four years. And Texas needs to find the right guy and have him in place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm sick of, Randy? No baseball. Yeah, there's no baseball talk at all, is there? There's none, and it's okay for a while because... This is kind of a, a low period for baseball anyway. But as we're getting ready to turn the page into 2022, it's reigniting my anger with baseball. And I just really hope that they get their stuff together and that they figure this out sooner rather than later. I know that's a big ask for me that baseball figures it out. But once we're done with college football and as we get towards the NFL playoffs, we're going to have less and less to talk about. I will, of course, have blues hockey, but we are a baseball town mm-hmm. and we love Cardinals baseball here in St. Louis. And heading into 2022, that that late January, early February period, right before spring training is some of the best baseball conversations you have all right. year because there's hope and you're looking ahead and you really get to take a look at the club in totality and see what they are going to field this year. And if we're not talking about that and we're instead talking about millionaires and billionaires fighting because they can't put their ego aside and come to a compromise, I'm going to be really mad and I'm sick of it. Okay, you're driving down the road. You're saying, why is Michelle bringing this up now? And I can tell you. You heard what she said. What she meant to say is, I'm sick of the fact that my trip to spring training is being threatened. Thank you for that translation, and that is true. <laughs> By the way, can I get, speaking of baseball, can I give you one more? And I put the poll up on Twitter last night, and I just want to know, well, uh, I want everybody to know that I'm sick of literal shaming, okay? Literal so, shaming. Last night after dinner, 
uh, we had pasta with meatballs. And there were two meatballs left. And Joan said, can you pitch those meatballs? And I said, sure. I said, Patrick, can you get in a crouch for me? Patrick gets in a crouch. I pitch a couple of meatballs across the room. Because you actually I was, threw them. I was told, yeah. And Pat, now, a couple of pass balls, not my fault. Pass meatballs. Patrick hit, you know, they hit him right in the glove. So did he right get everywhere? They bounced off. Moose got one. Darby got the other. So that, that was it. So I put it up on, and, and so she's, you know, rolling her eyes and huffing and puffing and not really vocally complaining, but I, I get the gist that she thinks that uh, she told me to pitch him and didn't want me to pitch him then. I said, come on. And so the dogs wound up with the, the meatballs. I'm sick of the fact that somebody will tell you to do something, and then when you do it, hmm. you you get the, the side eye. Some follow-ups here. Was there shrapnel everywhere? I'm picturing ground beef spraying everywhere, oh, sauce no. on the wall. Oh, no. The, these were, the, there were, they, they were unsauced. And, unsauced, yeah, okay. And, and, and so they were pretty firm. But uh, <laughs> little uh, Uncle Charlie hit Patrick right in the hand. And it bounced off. The first one bounced off. Moose goes and gets it. Second one bounces off. Darby goes and gets it. So there, there were only two meatballs left. So I, I I did pitch the meatballs and then got in trouble for doing it. I'm sick of that. I feel you. Thank you. I, I can see it. how that could be confusing for a baseball guy like you. Oh, totally. It you was. Know? Yeah. So anyway, I put it up on the... Uh, on the Twitter in a poll, and I believe it was something like 67% agreed with me oh, that they I, would pitch the I'm balls sure too. that that really helped your issue with Joan, oh, totally. is showing her that you put it out on social media and that the majority of your followers thought that well, you did the right thing. Because people that follow Randy are smart at uh, at Randy Carriker on the Twitter <laughs> machine. Oh, and you can follow Michelle on the Insta as well, at Michelle Smallman. And you can follow me. I am Smallman. And I'm Smallman, and and I am at uh, RJ Character on the Insta, and it's always fun. All right, your text six five seven eight zero. Andrew, what do we got? Yes, from the six three six. I'm sick of Tarasenko trade talks. He's not going anywhere this off season, so let's just stop talking about it. Is he though? Is he not going anywhere? Because it feels like Doug Armstrong has the memory of an elephant, and he doesn't forget. And uh, hey. The reality of the situation is they're going to try to get Matthew Kachuk. Correct. And uh, Vladdy will have a year left at seven and a half. I would not be at all surprised if after this season that uh, Vladimir Tarasenko would be moved. However, with the way that he's playing, it does give you that that anxiety. Your pulse starts to quicken a little to think that he could get moved and be playing like this elsewhere. It just feels weird for a guy that has been so synonymous with the blue note that he's going to play somewhere else. Yeah, we've been there with pools. We're fine. <laughs> You're like, we'll get over it. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, we will. All right, from the 314, I'm sick of hearing about COVID. Well, we're about to talk about it. Yeah, but it, it, it is. <laughs> it, here's the thing. It's uh, Michelle, I, I said this from the time that we got vaccinated and we've both been boosted. We shouldn't need to talk about it because if you've been vaccinated, the very strong likelihood is that you aren't going to have to deal with any symptoms. And if you didn't get vaccinated, that's on you because the vaccination was available. So everybody should be happy now. I am sick of it, though. I'm sick of these I'm Bulls of games too. getting canceled. I was sick of the extended NHL cancellation. I'm sick of the fact that Blues players are are, are still testing positive and aren't available to the team. I'm sick of every NFL game being impacted by this. It just... It's very exhausting, and I'm sure that I can speak for a lot of people when we say we thought on December 30th, 2021, this would be in the rearview mirror. Within the sports bubble, there's one NHL player that hasn't been vaccinated. There's no good reason for NHL players to be tested right now, right? They should be within their bubble. What's the point of testing these guys if they've been vaccinated? 
because the guy next to them has been vaccinated. If there are breakthroughs, I guarantee you that you and I have had back, had COVID and didn't know it we, because we didn't get text, te- tested. If you don't have any symptoms and you don't get tested, that's why we have the vaccination. Well, I think that's why the protocols are shifting. Yeah, the, right. The, the way that they are. Yeah, so hopefully we won't have to hear about it anymore. All right, from the 573, I'm sick of everyone starting with I love Coach Martin. And I would want my son to play for him, but, and then list a bunch of problems. You know what? I'm guilty of that. I'm super guilty of that. I said that to Randy and Andrew during the break. I'm like, oh, poor Mizzou. I love Conzo Martin. I think he's such a great coach and such a great guy. I hate that the team is just in in a bad place right now and obviously is not having the results that Mizzou expects them to. Um... But again, I, I'm not a Mizzou fan, so yeah. you know what I mean? It's easy for me on the outside to look at the person and not the product. I would say, though, that in general, I can rationalize a guy who's a Richard that wins. I, I can say, ah, you know, <laughs> this, is, second, this is why he is the way he is. He's winning, but I can't rationalize losing. That's my thing. If you're great, so hypocritical or not, and it is totally hypocritical, Give me the the Richard who loses game or wins games over the great guy who loses. So, your favorite or one of your favorite people ever is Dick Vermeil. Right, right. If Coach Vermeil came in and there was, and he wasn't able to turn the Rams around, you would have said, "Okay, it's time for him to go." We had two years of that. We had five and eleven and four and twelve. Yeah, and, I, and as much as I love four loved, and twelve, some yeah. years we would have dreamed of that. Right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So no, I was sick of it when after those first two years he had gone he had had only nine wins. Sick of it. Yeah. Who is in your career a Richard that you covered that was a winner? Bobby Knight. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a really good one. Yeah, he was. Bobby Knight was not a nice person. Now he did a lot of great things for a lot of people, but he was not a nice person. I guess Belichick's in that category. Right. Exactly. So. And look how much they love him down in or up in the Boston area in New England. But he's, he also fits their personality. Yeah, he kind of does. Hoodie, gruff, never happy. He's built for Boston. Yeah. Now, if he was in a place like St. Louis, if he was winning at the clip that he has, I think that we would love him here. But his personality would not fit with St. Louis. No, no. In, in St. Louis, I guess the most gruff person we've had, and he's a really good guy, is Tony. Yeah. But Tony was... Well, again, rationalized. Oh, he's just competitive. That's true. <laughs> but Tony also, while he was competitive and sometimes could do, he could com- compartmentalize the person and the and the player. He also was constantly doing things for ARF. You know, he. Oh well, yeah, that's the thing. He loves dogs. He does, but you know what I mean. He would do things for the community and show a softer side of himself. When do you ever see Belichick saying, "I love puppies"? No, the, you know the what I mean. Closest, you don't get anything. Like the, that the close, him. although he did have his dog sitting at his chair during the draft that one year. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was so incredible meme. And then the situation last week where he apologized to the media. Maybe he's softening with age. I don't know. So in two decades, we have two instances of where he's been a little <laughs> exactly. soft. And one was yeah. by accident when the camera caught right. his dog. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. Uh, thanks for your text, 65780. We do appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to visit with our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. He's next with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Thank you.
Michelle and Randy, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Greg Amzinger joins us. He is up in New Jersey, and baseball's locked out right now, so there's not a whole lot going on. <laughs> so on the nice days, he's trying to get out and play golf. Greg, my courses have been closed all week long. Have you had an opportunity to get out and play any golf? No, I have not. It's okay. I didn't need another distraction. This is a huge week. Yesterday was my 20th wedding anniversary. I've been wow. married for 20 years. Wow. Congratulations hey, to you and Erica. That's much. great. I never thought I'd have any job for 20 years, let alone <laughs> coax someone into liking me for 20 years. I, I, I don't know how I pulled this one off, Randy. I really don't know how I did it. Greg, we celebrated 35 in November, and I, I was just telling Michelle in our last segment. Yeah, I know. So this is one of the things about being married, and I want to tell you, as a baseball guy, if you agree with me, and I, I'm calling it, and it was uh, mentioned on Twitter, it's called literal shaming. So Joan, after dinner, says, we've got two meatballs left. She, she says, hey, can you pitch those leftover meatballs? So I told my son Patrick, to, hey, get in a crouch, and I pitched him the meatballs. <laughs> And she's rolling her eyes and huffing. Uh, now, you've been married for 20 years. Tell me, big left-hander, that you wouldn't do the same thing. Of course. Why wouldn't I? I mean, look, man, as you get older, dad jokes keep us moving, dude. Like, we, we need dad jokes. And we don't, we don't give them for our spouse to laugh. We give them so we have something to laugh Bingo, about. Bingo, right. <laughs> They finally caught on to us. That's why we're in television. I mean, I swear, all I do now is live look-ins and dad jokes next to Harold Reynolds. That's all I do. Sounds like a pretty good gig, though, Greg. It's not bad. Not bad. I don't know if my bosses like the dad jokes, but I know I do, and that's all I care about. That's all that matters. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, Greg, 20 years of marriage. Congratulations. That's an incredible accomplishment. And obviously, you. you've learned a lot during these past 20 years about what it takes to have a good relationship, how to sustain it. I'm sure you've learned a lot about compromise, about seeing the other person's side, and about how to come together and make things good. So out of 20 years of marriage, what advice could you give baseball on how they could come together and get this deal done? Oh, wow. What a great question. That's so good because I've used the analogy before Michelle that you know uh, the league and the union it's like witnessing a couple arguing in front of you at dinner right like you and your partner go to dinner double date right and you're witnessing this couple argue with each other I don't care where you go what you ate and what you did afterwards when you're in the car alone with your partner and you're driving back to your apartment your house you're going, we're never going to dinner with them again. That was really <laughs> awkward, and that was really weird. And that is what witnessing the union and Major League Baseball's owners get together is like. It's an awkward double date. When you watch the NBA, and I know all leagues have had their own labor disputes. It's not just Major League Baseball. But when you watch, like, the NBA – they're the exact opposite. It's like a it's like a couple that's making out in front of you. There's so many public displays of affection that you're like, whoa, but you'd rather watch that than a couple argue. So what I've learned over twenty years is less is more. You the, the more you talk doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get anywhere. Matter of fact, the more you talk, you might dig yourself a deeper hole. That's what I've learned in twenty years of marriage. What I've also learned is that compromise it sounds like i'm gonna go halfway and you go halfway 
I don't think that's compromise all the time. Sometimes compromise is, even though I really don't want to do this, I love you and I will do it. And maybe down the line, you'll do the same thing for me. Mm -hmm. But you can't expect it. You can't fully expect it. And you can't bring it up later. So in this negotiation, as we spin it to this, if the union wants something and there's no way to go halfway on this specific topic, sometimes if you really love the, your partner, in this case, the owners do love the players no matter what you hear, you just got to do it. You just got to give it. You just give it. And you can't hold it over the union's head that you did that, which is what we would fully expect them to do if they did. But that is exactly – that's exactly what has to happen here. Someone's going to have to not go halfway but compromise by completely giving in on a topic that they didn't want to touch at all. And that is how we'll avoid right. any deeper labor issue. Choose the right battles. Because when you get into that negotiation as a husband and wife or as a baseball entity and the Players Association, you know there are battles, especially from the players' perspective, that you just can't win. So why bother fighting them? Now, can you use them as leverage to get something else that you want? Yes. But it's ridiculous, I think, for any of us as husbands to expect that we're going to get everything that we want. And I feel the same way about the Players Association. You know, I just had an epiphany, Randy. What has to happen is, while the negotiators for the league and the negotiators for the union are yelling at each other and they're getting intense and it's going to go back and forth, what we need is Commissioner Rob Manford to walk in there and drop a couple dad jokes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Like the mood. That happens, and he becomes the easy target for corniness. It, it brings the air just a little lighter in the room. We do have a purpose on this earth, Randy. As much as women might roll their eyes at our, at our corniness, I think the dad jokes makes it reminds all of us that it's not so serious. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too dark here, but hell, we're going to be all dead in 200 years anyway. So why are we arguing about the meatballs? Why are we arguing about the trash? I go, like, let's not get too deep into these arguments. I think we need the commissioner drop a couple dad jokes and we'll get this deal done. Get Rob Manfred some meatballs stat. Let's get this worked out. Okay, Greg, well, let's talk about something a little bit more positive. So it is the end of 2021, and you watch more baseball, especially around the league, than anyone that Randy and I know. So as you look back on this year, what was your favorite moment in baseball in 2021? I think everything Shohei Otani did. I think uh, All-Star Game, witnessing in person uh, what he did at the Home Run Derby, and then the next day, starting the All-Star Game. I mean, and, and, and holding his own and everyone being in awe of him. I witnessed a baseball uh, as he was taking batting practice before the home run derby leave the stadium. Like it left the actual ballpark. And he told me the next day on the red carpet show, that was the farthest baseball he's ever hit. He never hit a baseball farther than that. Like to, to witness this guy who is so humble and so low key and just kind of walking around like he was a high school student and he couldn't believe he was there and yet be this physical specimen and talent that we had never seen in this archaically old baseball sport. I, 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 I will never forget watching what he did. And I, I, that he alone was my favorite part of the season from beginning to end, watching this guy debunk all of these unwritten rules which, as you know, I hate unwritten rules. 
It was a wonderful thing to witness. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. And Michelle brought to my attention a piece that's up at ESPN.com, the best and worst free agent deals of the last decade for each year. And for 2016, Greg, the biggest contract was given to David Price, seven years, $217 million. The Red Sox, for those that aren't aware of it, uh, they they swooped in on a Cardinal offer of seven years and $187 million and told David Price, you have the overnight to take it, and he took it, $30 million more. And then the Cardinals also offered that year 10 years and $200 million to Jason Hayward, who got eight and 184 from the Cubs. Would you suggest that the Cardinals were lucky that they didn't give out big contracts in 2016? You know, I think lucky on Jason Hayward because I never saw a bat that was going to age well. Turkey, jerky swing. He still hasn't figured out his swing. And, and this guy is over the age 30. Uh, but when it came to David Price, he's he's a different bird, man. I, I think if he was in an environment that he was comfortable in, and I'm just envisioning throwing a Yadier Molina every fifth mm-hmm. day, I, I think he would have thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, I know – that there are injuries and things get in the way. But in terms of a guy that needs his mind right to perform at a high level, I think David Price checks that box. Him throwing to Yachty, I I could dream on that a little bit. And he was still in his prime. You could have seen some incredible performances from David Price in a Cardinal uniform. So I I agree with you on the Jason Hayward deal because sometimes the best contracts are the ones you never make. And and they try to get them and, I mean, they made an offer to Albert Pujols. It was just good enough to know that he wouldn't take it. Uh, but thank God, right, that he yeah. didn't take that. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I think David Price would have performed completely differently if he was wearing a Cardinal uniform throwing the Yadier Molina. What do you got going on on New Year's Eve? Uh, that's a great question. You know, my wife is a founder of a brand-new company, so she's working constantly. And I just become like, you know, daddy daycare. So <laughs> me and my 11-year-old son are just kind of bumming around town doing all kinds of odds and end things. Uh, he's frustrated. He just wants to sit and play Fortnite all the time. But I drag him out of the house. I mean, I just do these weird things. I like, I got a new car the other day because I was bored. What'd you get? Um, I got, you know what? I, friends of the family. I got this buddy of mine who uh, they own a, a Chevy dealership. So I got this tricked-out Tahoe. It's really cool. Nice. I like the new Chevy Tahoe. But I'm just doing things not because I have to do them, but because I'm bored. So hopefully this whole lockout comes to an end. We will be uh, turning on the lights in our studio next week doing shows. We're getting prepared for the big January 25th announcement for the Hall of Fame, uh, which I'm excited, always excited to talk about that. So we'll be doing that. And uh, January 9th, I believe, I'm, I'm leaving to uh, go play golf. 36 holes a day in Florida. Uh, with Dan Plesak. He's got a condo on a golf course. So we played 36 holes a day for four days. That's awesome. That'll be I, I, great. I cannot wait. I can't wait. Greg, what's your wife's new company? Anything we can check out or support? Yes, absolutely. It's a circular baby clothing retailer. Uh, it's all great for the environment. It's called Borrow Baby. B-O-R-O-B-A-B-I. B-O-R-O-B-A-B-I. She's one of the founders of the company. Um, and it's blowing up. There's they got stores all over the, the United States now, and it's very exciting stuff. Very exciting. It's everything she loves to do, and um, she's busy. She's busier than me. So I'm just laying back and uh, you know letting her just pay for my life. So it's really cool. Well, That's great. pretty cool. That can be your anniversary gift. Tell her that you plugged her company on the radio in St. Louis. <laughs> I, will. I will. Hey, great to have you with us as always. Thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate you getting up to join us, and Happy New Year. 
All right. Happy New Year to you as well. I'm going to go polish off a couple of dad jokes and wake my son up and, uh, and see what he does. I'll, t- I'll talk to you guys later. Let's <laughs> see you, Greg. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network and a native St. Louis and a product of the Lindenwood University joining us on 101 ESPN. He's the best. We miss Greg. We didn't talk to him for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's great to have him back. Take it or leave it. Coming your way. Get your text in. Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. And we've got Tioli on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and we invite you to join us on Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, you are aware of Tyler Hero, the guard for the Miami Heat. Good player, having a really good year for Miami. Mm-hmm. And like many athletes, he decided to hook up with an IG model. It happens now and then. I think that's kind of his MO. Like, I think he's known for that. Well, his IG model girlfriend and baby mama, Katia Elise Henry, says that she is retiring from IG modeling to just be a mom. Aww. Uh, Take it or leave it. She stays retired from IG modeling. I will take that. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say she returns to IG modeling. She's uh, how how old? Young? Uh, She's uh, mid-20s. Mid-20s? Young? I would imagine um, to be an IG model, you have to constantly be doing something for your appearance, whether it's working out or only eating grilled chicken or getting a spray tan or getting your hair and makeup done. Randy, you don't understand this. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so I imagine if she gives all that up and she's just a mom and she doesn't have to worry about all that, she might not want to get back into the IG modeling game. I'm thinking that once the baby girl starts winding, and the baby girl being their baby, uh, starts going to preschool that she's going to be bored unless she has another baby and becomes a two-time baby mama unless she winds up uh, having another baby that in three four years she's going to be wanting to put the makeup and the clothes on and IG modeling I'm going to say she she returns even though she's coming out of retirement that's what I'm saying okay so is she going to fa- put the facts up on back MJ style Big time. Okay, maybe. Yeah, well, well, if we're going to make comparisons, she's no MJ. Oh, Randy. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> so, big game this weekend between the Bengals and the Chiefs. Take it or leave it. Joe Burrow leads Cincinnati to a victory over the Chiefs. Michelle, I'm going to take this at like home. Bengals in this one. Yeah. Tyler Math- uh, Matthew apparently is going to be out for KC. That's big. And... This, to me, is for the Bengals what that 49er game was in in 1999 for the Rams. This is a chance for them to show they're real, and I believe they will. I'm with you. All right, Tech 65780. Andrew, what do you got? From the 217, Tater, leave it. Jordan Cairo will soon be one of the most popular players in the NHL. I'm take it. Same breath as McDavid and McKinnon. Not going to take that, but I'm going to say that he will be popular. <laughs> He should be popular. Yeah. He is electric and obviously so talented. You know, he could get there. 
he really could, especially if the Blues make another deep playoff run, potentially win another Stanley Cup. If he's a big part of that, he could get on the national consciousness. He really could. Yeah, if they win some playoff series and McDavid doesn't, then absolutely he could be a, a guy that hockey fans know very well. But he's not gonna he's not gonna be on the cover of the NHL 2K game like McDavid or McKinnon is. Probably not. Because those guys, they they're two of the three best players in the world. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna be the, one of the best players in the world. All due respect, we love him. No, but I can see him being talked about by national people in Definitely. the same breath as as these young, exciting talents. Absolutely. I could see him being like a like a Johnny Goudreau yeah, type good, good figure. Just an, an all-star, but you know, not the Patrick Canes, not the the McKinnons, the McDavid's, yeah. the Crosby's, but still a really good player. With you. Uh take it or leave it. St. Louis only expecting 790 million from the NFL was one of the worst sports moments of 2021 for St. Louis. We had that in our disappointments yesterday. Expecting or accepting? Are we saying accept ex- them accepting it is was the worst moment or expecting I, I accepting. not expecting? Accepting. Oh, okay. Yes. I was going to say because we were expecting it to be in the billions. Right. And because of when it happened, that's really my only issue is that they didn't squeeze the owners a little bit more. If it I believe, Michelle, if we would have had a week of the trial, and by the way, it was completely officially totally closed yesterday. All the legal things that happened, it was completely dismissed yesterday, the the, uh, the suit was. But if they would have gotten $790 million and we would have seen a bunch of video from January 10th through 14th in court, I mm-hmm. would feel a lot different. I would too. And like I said yesterday, I... Even though $790 million is an enormous sum of money, mm-hmm. I hate that the owners, who have way more than $790 million collectively, were able to just throw money at a problem and make it go away. Yeah, that's what they do, and that's what they did. All right. From the 314, take it or leave it. If he doesn't retire this year, Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers next season. I'm going to take it based on his press conference yesterday. I'm going to leave it. I know that he made some comments yesterday that would lead you to believe that, but Aaron Rodgers is on the Mount Rushmore of guys that don't forget things, that hold on to something as fuel to the fire. This is a long game for him. And I know that he knows he's in a pretty good situation in Green Bay. And as he mentioned, he has a a good relationship with Matt LaFleur. His relationship with Brian Gutekunst is evolving, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for lack of a better term. He understands that the personnel around him is important, that he plays for an historic franchise. But this is a guy that wanted out and didn't get his way. Do we think he just forgot that? This guy came out, played at an MVP clip all season. He has a chance to win a Super Bowl. He will still, I I think, personally want to get out if given the chance. I kind of think he might have gotten his power, though. And think about where the possibilities are for him to go. He's not going to get power from Mike Tomlin. He is, he doesn't know who the ownership is going to be in Denver. He's probably not going to get power from Sean Payton. I don't know where he's going to go, where he he's going to have more juice in the organization than, than what he has right now. I agree with you, but I also think that that, existed prior to the season that that same scenario existed and yet he still wanted out well the thing was that when he came back he asked for randall cobb and immediately got randall cobb and they're they're talking to him now they're coming to him and saying hey what do you want us to do which wasn't apparently something that was happening before 
I just don't think this is over. I don't think it's going to be as simple as I, I got hope Ra- it's not. I got Randall Cobb and now I'm satisfied. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if he stays around and he says yet now that he's going to make his decision rather quickly. It'll be interesting to see what they do in free agency for him. You know what I think would be very interesting is if he won the Super Bowl. What has he decided to do? Do you stay mm-hmm. in Green Bay and try to run it back, or is that the perfect time for you to exit? Might be the perfect time to retire. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. You got it, Randy. Thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, 2021 coming to a close. What were the most impactful sports moments for us? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Down the stretch of 2021, we want to know your most impactful sports moments. What moments, when they happened, hit you the hardest? 65780 is Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, I, I can still remember exactly where I was sitting when I heard about the Tiger car accident. And then you go to every channel, whether it's a news channel or a sports channel, and the entire country was focused on how Tiger Woods was doing it with shots of that car. And it, it literally went wall to wall, whether you were watching CNN or ESPN or Fox News or Fox Sports. Everybody that day was focused on one thing in our country. And that was in the midst of COVID. It was last February. But everybody was focused on Tiger Woods and his well-being or lack of. Yeah, the world stopped in in so many ways. Everybody was monitoring the latest news, and it was something that everybody was talking about and hoping for the best for Tiger. Kind of reminds me, and thankfully this had um, a more positive outcome, but when Kobe Bryant passed away. Right. I'll never forget where I was. We canceled all of our plans that day because we just were waiting for confirmation. You couldn't believe the, the news that was coming out, hoping it was different. And I think coming so quickly after Kobe's passing to hear another transcendent figure in sports was involved in in an accident, a transportation accident, and not knowing what the severity of it was, that really stopped a lot of people in their tracks, and they were hoping that Tiger would be okay. And thankfully, not only was he okay, but he's back playing golf at the end of 2021. I think that was one of the best things for me out of 2021 was not only that Tiger is okay and that he's walking and that he's healthy, but to see him get to go out there after enduring this terrible car accident and be able months later to compete with his son mm-hmm. in a golf tournament was pretty special. That was cool. Another one that got me, and again, I, I was sitting at home. We had finished the, the show, and I get a text that the Cardinals have a Zoom call for seven minutes from right now. Mm-hmm. And we ha- it, it breaks on Twitter that the Cardinals are parting ways with Mike Schilt. And John Mozeliak tells us that because of philosophical differences, the guy who led the Cardinals to the playoffs and led them to a 17-game winning streak and epitomized the Cardinal way would not be back. And we still don't know what the philosophical differences are. But, man, a, a, a team that makes the playoffs, a Cardinal team that makes the playoffs and plays the way the Cardinals played – for that manager to get fired was stunning. After an historic 17-game winning streak, yeah, he's a guy that got the, the team to the playoffs, a guy that 
players seemingly love to play for. You know, everything mm -hmm. that we would hear from guys is about how much they appreciated Mike Schilt's communication and how he always had their backs, especially when it came to the media. He was never the type of guy that would throw a player under the bus. Never. He was someone that literally has the Cardinal way. He has a George Kissel book in his possession. There's no one that's more St. Louis Cardinals than Mike Schilt. So for him, for him of all people, to be someone that the club would want to part ways with because of philosophical differences is a bit shocking because you would think if anybody had the philosophy that the St. Louis Cardinals would want, it would be someone right. who is so ingrained in the organization like Mike Schultz. And you're right, that was so shocking the way it went down because you get this text. I remember I was driving, so I couldn't really see what it was. And then once I got to my destination, I looked and it was already getting ready to happen. And you're like, wait, what's going on? And then I remember tuning into the radio and being like, I'm sorry, what? What's happening? Mike Schultz is getting fired. It was just very shocking, and it left way more questions than answers. By the way, I never, or I shouldn't say never, because it's rare that I go through my messages on the Insta. But I was going through yesterday, and lo and behold, Michelle Schultz had, uh, sent us a very nice message liking the podcast and uh, thanking us for saying such nice things about her husband. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, Michelle, Happy New Year. And your husband deserves to be in baseball, and we're glad he's with MLB, but deserves to be in a dugout, too. Absolutely. Good guy, and I'm glad that he found a good position, but will not be surprised when he's back as the manager of another team. I guess if we're going to talk about impactful moments, there are positive and negative impactful moments. A Chris Taylor home run, <laughs> it was a gut punch, wasn't it? Yeah, that was impactful. Yeah. And I, I wonder, because we talked about this yesterday, I truly believe that the Cardinals had the momentum and a lot of the ingredients to be a team that got was hot at the right time mm -hmm. and made a deep playoff run. And had they won that game, and if they did, in fact, have a deep playoff run, were those philosophical differences still so severe? Because it's a lot easier to part ways with a manager mm -hmm. after you get bounced early from the playoffs. If you're in the NLCS for a team that had the June that they had and had to crawl back and was playing together and and really making an impact in the postseason and positioning themselves to tell your fans, we're close. Mm -hmm. We're we're closer than you might have thought we were. Do you really get rid of your manager after that? We'll never know, but it's no. something to think about. And remember a few years ago, I think it was 2017, when people were saying about the Yankees, even if Girardi would have won the World Series, that he would have gotten whacked because they had philosophical differences. I, that's a great question. I don't know if the Cardinals would have had the gumption to pull the trigger on firing Schilt if they would have gone to or won the World Series. Another one, Michelle, I, I know exactly where I was. We were playing in a virtual trivia night at home in our basement when word came via Twitter that the Cardinals had traded for Nolan Arenado in late January. It was a Friday night. I remember exactly where I was. I don't remember the question that was being asked at the time. But I do know that my focus completely changed from the trivia night to the Cardinals and who they were going to give up to acquire Nolan Arenado. And then details start to trickle out and you see that the Rockies will pay $50 million in addition to Nolan Arenado. And I'm saying, wait, the Cardinals are getting 50 million they're giving <laughs> 50 million is this a typo yeah it was unbelievable that the cardinals were able to pull that off and they had been pursuing him for a long time when you first saw the tweets 
that were coming out saying the Cardinals have engaged with the Rockies about Nolan Arenado. It seems like a deal could happen. You're thinking, okay, John Heyman or whoever the MLB insider is. We've heard this before. Mm -hmm. There's been mutual flirtation from these two parties for a while now. We're not going to fall for this one again. And then you hear that it's getting close and you see that it's done. Randy... When we got word that Paul Goldschmidt was coming to St. Louis, we were at our holiday party mm-hmm. at the time at Top Golf, and people were hyped. Don't get me wrong. When word came down that the Cardinals acquired Nolan Arenado, the hyperventilation factor <laughs> in St. Louis was through the roof. I'll never forget my phone blowing up from people being like, is this true? Is this true? Is this fake news? I'm like, no, this is true. It's actually happening. And then going to the grocery store and strangers in line are talking, be like, did you hear we got Arenado? <laughs> Everybody was so excited. And that's one of the things that we love about sports is a big transaction like that. And Cardinals fans had been dying for one and they got it. And then I have a couple of other ones on the list here. Number one, we were actually here. We were doing the show when we got word that uh, Simone Biles was not going to be able to participate in the Olympics at all. She had already left some individual competitions, and then she decided to not participate in the all-around because of uh, mental issues that she was dealing with at the time. And she was the star of the Olympics during yes. the summer. And here we are sitting doing a show, and we get word that the star of the Olympics isn't going to participate in the Olympics. The face of the Olympics, right yeah. after she was just here in St. Louis competing in the qualifying. And that not only was impactful from uh, an Olympics perspective and in the sports world, but it opened up big time conversations about mental health and the importance mm-hmm. of mental health. And uh, I think shed some light on what these athletes deal with. Obviously, Simone is an extreme case because of what she puts her body through, the risk that she takes anytime she competes. But it is important to remember that these athletes are human beings and that not everyone is built the same and not everyone has the same mental makeup. And some people need to approach things differently and that's okay. And that we need to make sure that treatment and that we have individualized plans for people so that they're put in the best position to succeed. And I went in, by the way, to the uh, Olympic qualifying for gymnastics at the Dome saying, yeah, but that was really impactful for me to see how high off the ground those girls get, that her vertical is higher than she is tall, Simone Biles, and the the incredible athleticism that you see in person. And it's one thing to see it on TV and appreciate it and admire it. But man, you see the impact on their bodies in person, and it was incredible. When I saw girls fall off the rings mm-hmm. and heard in person the smack that that made when they would hit the mat, it took my breath away. I was like, are are they okay? Is this what are we watching here? And you're right to see it on television and have commentators over it. You don't necessarily sometimes get the full impact of what you're seeing, but to see what they put their bodies through in person, gave, I already had a ton of respect for for gymnasts, but it gave me a whole new perspective on the respect level that I have for them. It sure is nice when we have the 2011s or 2019s or going all the way the way back to 99 because those are impactful moments when you win at championships. 2006, obviously, with the Cardinals as well. But sports is awesome in that you, you're always going to have memorable moments at the end of a year, whether you win a championship or not. 
Speaking of that, this wasn't necessarily impactful, but I love that we got to see the 2011 Cardinals have their reunion that was cool. at Bush Stadium this year. That, it's always fun to have that team together and to go down memory, memory lane with them because that was just an unbelievable run, and it's hard to believe that it's been 10 years yeah. since the Cardinals won a championship. And another one for us is being in Canton for the induction of Isaac Bruce into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and his speech and everything about that weekend are the show that we did on Friday before the induction. That really struck me too. That was a lot of fun. That's something that I'll never forget. I'll never forget that either. And the greatest show on turf will always be St. Louis's. And it was really cool for me, Randy, to get to go there and have conversations with members of that team, whether it was Ricky Prohl or Isaac Bruce or Dick Vermeil, Mike Martz even, and have them talk about what St. Louis meant to them. Yeah. To, to all these years later, have those guys still echo the fact that it was reciprocal, that they loved St. Louis as much as St. Louis loved them was really cool. Impactful moments from 2021. Coming up, the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports, John Kelly, talking about last night's game and the Winter Classic. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN, and to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, the voice of the St. Louis Blues on Valley Sports, John Kelly, kind enough to join us on this Thursday morning. Happy New Year, Mr. Kelly. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Randy. Happy New Year to you and uh, Michelle and everybody. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, big win last night, so everything is good here. And uh, an impressive win with three players obviously coming back from injury, and the way the Blues handled that game was one of their best games of the year. I agree, and obviously it's a concerning game for, for any team when you have a 10-day layoff, Randy. In addition, you have you know a Christmas break where the players obviously were not on the ice. You just don't know what to get um, because the night before in the NHL, there were three games, and I was watching them uh, on television at home, and it, it was a goal fest. I think there were 33 total goals in those three games. So you go into the game last night thinking, okay, are the guys sort of still in holiday mode, or are they going to come back and – pick up where they left off and I think the answer is the latter they picked up where they left off with you know the same intensity uh the same drive the the north game that uh, Ruby likes to play so I think I was I was pleasantly surprised with the the Blues performance last night that Thomas Kyrou Tarasenko line was so impressive last night what do you think it is about those three players that complement one another another John well number one I think Michelle they're all three really smart hockey players, you know, with and without the puck. And, you know, smart players make good plays, and that's what happened last night. I mean, I've been saying it for years, and I think it's pretty obvious. Robert Thomas is an elite playmaker, elite. He, he to me, is top 10 in the NHL as far as uh, passing the puck as, as a center iceman. He's just that good. So, you know, if Kairou's skating, and, and he was last night, and Tarasenko was skating and driving the net and playing well, and he – he is, and he was last night, then it clicks. So, I mean, good hockey players find a way to get the job done. And, you know, speaking of Tarasenko, of course, he was the first star last night. I don't know when the last time is that he is playing this, you know, played this well. He, he is really working hard, not, not just offensively, but all three zones. So 
it, it, you know, it, his game is slowly coming together. I thought he had a, a bit of a slow start and maybe had a lull for a little while. And it's almost as if getting, you know, put together with Barbashev and Buchnevich, that Russian line almost rejuvenated him. And, and he has become uh, the Tarasenko that we've known now for you know, 10 years or so. Uh, it's really good to see and a lot of fun to watch. John, do you sense that he's more physical than he was when he was starting to come back from the, the first shoulder injury, only saw a few games, but then earlier this season too, it seems to me like just in watching, there appears to be more comfort in playing a physical game now for him. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Randy. No question. I mean, he got he got in the kitchen of Mike Smith last night in that first period, late in the period, and, you know, uh, got a blocker in the face from Smith, and then he came up and punched him. And, yeah, and he, yeah, I think he is. And I think it's natural for a player. Obviously, I don't know. I, I wasn't a player. Um, but, you know, playing sports that, you know, it, say you have three shoulder surgeries like he did, it's natural to, to sort of, you know, wonder how it's going to hold up on a big hit and things like that. And, you know, obviously he went through a full training camp and, and things like that and has been skating and working hard and doing the things in the weight room. But still, Randy, until you get, obviously, on the ice. And so it probably took him a month or two to really feel 100% comfortable with that shoulder. And, and I agree. I think he has been playing a more physical game and more involved game in the last month or so. John Craig Berube earned his 200th victory as an NHL coach last night. The Blues have obviously endured so much this season. They've been able to overcome a lot. What do you think of the job that Chief has been able to do with this Blues team? It has been an awesome job, and, you know, I think that the biggest thing is he is getting um, the players to play his, his style of game. And it doesn't matter if it's Logan Brown or Tarasenko or whomever, uh, you know, the recent call-ups, these guys are coming in, and it's almost like plug-and-play. And, and that's the biggest thing. Obviously, uh, you know, these games are highly competitive, and all teams are really well coached, and if, if you can play your style and play your game, and obviously you can't do it every single night, um, then you're going to have an advantage. And, and right now, I, I really think except for the month of November when the Blues had a bit of a lull, and that's going to happen, that they have played Baruby-style hockey. So it's fantastic. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for him and the, and the players is he's an honest guy, direct, and has a really good feel for the game. When, when guys aren't going or the, the team needs to – a shake-up with a line change or things like that. He's got a really good feel, and he's done an outstanding job. I mean, the team's in first place with all these injuries, so that's pretty remarkable. John, I wanted to, to ask you this morning about Brandon Saad because I like him better now than I did when he was a member of the the Blackhawks or the Avalanche, and I just I appreciate him more. He's, to me, one of those players that you – once you see him play every game rather than three or four times a year, I'm seeing more out of him than I saw before. I just didn't know because I didn't watch him all the time. He is more, he's better and more valuable than I thought he was. Yeah, I, I agree, Randy. And I think that, you know, as broadcasters, you watch players play and, you know, a player like Saad comes in four or five times a year from the opposition and you see him play and, you know, maybe on those nights he didn't have a good night or he did have a good night and you form a quick opinion. But I think when you watch a player play every night, you see the subtleties. And with Brandon Saad, he's one of those players to me when he's not scoring goals and, and obviously he went through a bit of a drought until he scored last night. He still does a lot of things really well. And you can't say that Randy about some players mm -hmm. where, where they're not scoring or, you know, whatever the role might be, if they're not doing that, 
maybe they're not versatile enough to do something else and contribute. But to me, Brandon saw it. He's strong on the wall. Obviously, he has good speed. He's got a good shot, um, a good checker, a reliable player. So even when he's not scoring, to me, he's still a very valuable player. And to me, that's his biggest asset. Fitting that here in St. Louis, he's wearing number 20. <laughs> you know what? He plays a lot like number 20, doesn't he, Steen? Yeah. Um, it, he really does. I mean, Steen was was the epitome of being a reliable player. And obviously, he was a huge part of the leadership group in the locker room of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you know, I don't know how much leadership that Saad has done so, so, so far. Obviously, he's a new player and, you know, has, has to get integrated in the group. But um, he, he does remind you a lot of, of Steen, the way he plays strong on the walls and, and, you know, again, reliable and things like that. Hey, John, before we let you go, Saturday night is scheduled to be the coldest outdoor game in NHL history, a high of minus three, a low of minus nine when the Blues play at Minnesota at Target Field. I'm really intrigued to see, A, how the players react. You don't have to be there. Are you, are you going up to Minnesota? No, I am going to stay in the comfort and warmth of my living room. <laughs> it's going to be unbelievable. I can't imagine what Panger is going to be going through. Yeah, Panger is going to work the game for TNT, and uh, I don't know where he'll be located, probably somewhere around the rink, um, you know, right right out in the elements. So, yeah, I think obviously it's going to be a difficult situation, to say the least, to, to have it be that cold. And my main concern, and I don't, I'm not a negative person, but my main concern is injury for these players because it's so cold and, you know, groin pulls and muscle pulls and things like that. So hopefully it's a really good game and a, and a, and a great spectacle. I'm sure it will be, but let's knock on wood that uh, everybody comes out healthy from that game. John, we always love having you on the show. We've really enjoyed having you here in 2021. Looking forward to a great new year and have a great holiday this weekend. Okay, thanks again, and Happy New Year, everyone. Take care. That is John Kelly, voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. Always good to talk to him on Thursdays. Michelle, i got to tell you, and maybe it's because I've been to a Winter Classic. I guess it would be different if I'd never had. No, it wouldn't. I, I do not want to be sitting outside to watch a sporting event that's on TV that I can watch in my theater room when it's minus 3 or minus 17. I just don't. I know that this is a very special event. I have no desire to go. And I have the self-awareness, Randy, to know that I'm not tough enough to endure those steps. I just know myself. Some people, I I love watching games in Green Bay when it's negative 10 at kickoff and there's shirtless guys there who are just having the time of their lives. That's never going to be me. I'm never going to be someone that looks at a snowball and says, this looks like a great time. I can't wait to do that next year. I like my creature comforts too much. I don't think that I would actually see the game. If I were at the game in Minnesota on Saturday night, I would like have my hands against my body and I would be down in a fetal position on the chair. I, I would have my head between my legs probably. We think if it's 50 degrees, it's too cold. Yeah, right. <laughs> we become such wimps, Randy, weather wimps. It's okay. We're in St. Louis and it's getting warmer and uh, it's we're, we're like in San Diego now. This, we, we've got even the, uh, what, what do they call it? The, uh, the fog. The marine layer yeah, that's in, right. in Creve Corps. It's true. We do. <laughs> Thanks to John Kelly. Coming up next, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, 
undisputed king of morning drive, please welcome Randy Carricker. Two fights left in 2021, which means two more opportunities for Randy to lose. It is time for the fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman with you. Andrew Marsh is back in studio. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be back. Um, I had a lot of fun where I was. Which was Arizona. I was in Arizona. Yeah, hiking, the weather, some golfing. The weather was just like how it is here. Really? Yeah, I went there and be like, yeah, you know, maybe it'll be nice. Some warm weather. No, it was cold. Really? Yeah, it was really cold, That's actually. That's a bummer. It was. But Andrew didn't get in until 4 a.m., and yet he's still here doing the show. He's a gamer. <laughs> so how are, you do- how are you doing? Are you so tired right now? I am very tired. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. Anyway, let's welcome in our challenger today. Hunter is with us. Good morning, Hunter. How are you? Fantastic. How's it going? We're doing great here. I think I'm doing a little bit better than Andrew, as you just heard. I'm, I'm struggling. He is on the struggle bus, but I'm doing okay. Hunter, are you ready to take on Randy this morning? I'm going to give it the old college try. Awesome. Well, good luck. We believe in you. All right, Hunter. Question number one. Vladimir Tarasenko scored two goals in his NHL debut. What team did Vladdy score against to start off his career? Was it the Sharks, the Blackhawks, or the Red Wings? Uh, let's go with the Blackhawks. All right, question number two. In its third year under head coach Lloyd Carr, Michigan compiled a perfect 12-0 record. They won the Big Ten Conference Championship and were declared the national champion by the Associated Press after defeating what school in the 1998 Rose Bowl? Was it Arizona State, UCLA, or Washington State? Uh, Let's go with UCLA. Question number three. The final game for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium 2 came as a loss in Game 6 of the 2005 NLCS, where the Astros defeated the Cardinals 5-1. What team did the Cardinals beat 7-5 to close out the last regular season game at Bush Stadium 2? Was it the Pirates, the Reds, or the Brewers? Uh, let's go with the Pirates. All right, last question, Hunter. In the 13 NHL Winter Classic games, Eight of the games have been won by the road team. Who was the last road team to win a winter, to win a winter classic game? Was it the Boston Bruins, the New York Rangers, or the Nashville Predators? Uh, the Bruins. Okay, checking our score. Confirmed. Let's wave in Randy. Hunter, how you feeling after you, after you completed the fight? I don't feel very good about those answers. You know, this was a tough fight today, Andrew. I got to tell you. I had to bring my A game back. You really did. This well, is a we'll tough one. Well, we'll see what Randy thinks. That's true. Randy, uh, your headset is on. Please say good morning to Hunter. Hunter, good morning. How you doing? Fantastic. How's it going, Randy? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Randy with the red blues hoodie on. A little reverse retro action Yeah, today. got that for Christmas. I like it. Very nice. That's my favorite blues logo the one that you have on with the st louis mentioned there yeah, very it's pretty good. cool very good randy are you ready i'm ready question number one for randy character vladimir tarasenko scored two goals in his nhl debut what team did vladdy score against to start off his career uh it was a great night for the blues it was a great night for vladdy it was a sad night for st louis because stan musial died as the blues took on the detroit red wings 
Randy, in its third year under head coach Lloyd Carr, Michigan compiled a perfect 12-0 record, won the Big Ten Conference Championship, and was declared the national champion by the Associated Press after defeating what school in the 1998 Rose Bowl? 1998 Rose Bowl. Okay. I've watched a few Rose Bowls. I always thought the Rose Bowl was the best uh, day to buy a TV. Why is that? Just because of the scene at the Rose Bowl and the time of day in California and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. It's a gorgeous scene. It really is. But I would hope that you already had your TV purchased and you were settled in on the couch by the time you're tuning on the Rose Bowl. May or may not have purchased a TV that day. I don't remember. But, but most of the TVs I've purchased have been on New Year's Day. So let's think about this. USC was bad at the time. UCLA was not good at the time. And I think you had... See, that was pre-Jake Plummer at ASU. Um, 1998, right? Um, I think I'm going to go with Washington State here. I believe it was the, uh, the Cougs. The final game for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium 2 came as a loss in Game 6 of the 2005 NLCS where the Astros defeated the Cardinals 5-1. What team did the Cardinals beat 7-5 to close out the last regular season game at Bush 2? 2005. I should know this off the top of my head. This should be easy. I'm, I'm going to say the Brewers. But I'm not positive. I'm just going to say the Brewers. Okay. It just feels like it. Okay. All right, Randy. In the 13 NHL Winter Classic games, eight of the games have been won by the road team. Who was the last road team to win a Winter Classic game? Okay, so last year you had two neutral site games. Last road team to win. Yes. Okay. So even though the sites are neutral, per se, I there see. is a okay. home team a home and an away team. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this is just a total guess again on my part. And I'm going to say that Boston played last year. And I will go with the Bruins. Is it Hunter or is it Randy? Andrew, ring the bell. Just win, baby. I feel like you're you're firing that earlier and earlier. You don't even want the sounder play. Yeah, I just wanted a little bit of uh, what do we call that? A little a mesh there, as it were. (laughs) Yeah, you you got it. Sorry, Hunter. Randy beat you three to one. Randy on his game to close out the year. Man, I'll be all right. Well, Hunter, (laughs) thank you for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome New Year. You guys too. Okay, so as Randy mentioned, Vladimir Tarasenko scored two goals in his NHL debut, and that was in a game versus the Detroit Red Wings. In the 1998 Rolls Bowl, Michigan defeated Washington State. It was, in fact, the Cougs. The Cardinals beat the Reds 7-5 to to close out the last regular season game at Bush Stadium 2. Chris Duncan hit a home run. Did he? Yeah. Nice. Shout out to Dunk. Yeah. Miss him. No, no tight cheeks in that game. No, am I right? uh-uh. And the last road team to win a, win a winter classic game was the Boston Bruins. Good job, Randy. You beat Hunter 3-1. to one.
and we appreciate Hunter playing and all of you that have played in the fight during the course of 2021. We'll keep that going in 2022. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Dan Dierdorf coming up at the top of the hour right now, though. Time for... Clemson defeating Iowa State 20-13 to in the Cheez-It Bowl last night. Dabo Swinney, their head coach, getting the Cheez-It bath yeah. at the game. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I have no problem with it. I think it's great. I think that since Cheez-It is sponsoring the bowl game, it's fine, even though it's in Florida, and he could do Gatorade or Powerade sure. or water or whatever. I like the idea of Cheez-Its. I don't because I think that it's a much better visual with the Gatorade. And that just seems like a tremendous waste of delicious Cheez-Its. And I know it is the Cheez-It Bowl, so there's significance. There's and they plenty prob- available, they, Michelle. They have an abundance of Cheez-Its. But I would just imagine that those Cheez-Its could be put to better use, people consuming them. They could, without question. However, if you're Dabo, would you rather be soaked with Gatorade or Powerade or water or just have a bunch of Cheez-Its fall over your head and maybe get one goes down your back? At least when you're soaked with the Gatorade, when you're doing the post-game interview and there's video of you in the locker room, there's evidence on you that you were the victor. The Cheez-Its, they, I mean, I, I watched the video a couple times, they just rolled right off him. There's no evidence that he's a winner. Take it or leave it. You find a Cheez-It in your hair, pull it out, you eat it. No doubt. Okay, There's me too. Dab- yeah, me too. Dabo is a guy that has a shirt tucked in. You know someone down the back of his collar mm-hmm. and that he's going to find cheeses later and definitely eat them. Absolutely. I am too. And that's not even a five-second rule deal. It's been on your body. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I wonder what type of cheeses they were. Are we talking classic cheeses? I think they had to go classic, yeah. A- extra toasty. You know, some of those Cheez-Its infusions are really good where it's like a sharp cheddar with a little spice to it the white cheddar always a great option i think that's uh moose's favorite moose really is a cheese it guy and the, the white cheddar yeah, is something your that, dog moose yes gets cheese it well his favorite food in the world his two favorite foods are popcorn and croutons so <laughs> cheese it's are right up his alley he loves crunchy stuff i hope that your dog never meets my dog because my dog is allowed zero human food oh really unless he's with my parents and then my dad feeds him everything under the sun the other day i, I walked in i was home for christmas my dad's got peanut butter on a spoon and my dog's going to go. i'm like he's like well it's christmas let him have it i'm like what? oh he's not he's on a diet he can't have this stuff right um but if my dog knew that at the character household they're getting croutons and cheese that's and popcorn Meatballs. i'd have I have meatballs i'd have some splaining to do <laughs> well you know the duke's mayo bowl the winning coach gets doused with mayonnaise mm. that might be even worse yeah that that's would way be bad. worse that's way worse because yeah. at least with the gatorade it's you take a shower and it's pretty simple when you get in the shower and there's mail all yeah, over you that's that's a job you gotta get well at least for me i'm thinking with my hair you know you gotta get all that out that's gonna take a while for yeah. guys i guess it's a little different yeah. by the way duke's mayo is good is it? Never uh, had it. I'm we, more of a Hellman's girl. We had Mike Johnson on, 4th of July, when he described the perfect burger. And he said, you have to have Duke's mayo. So I got Duke's mayo. And it really is different than other mayos. So in 2022, make that a resolution. If you haven't tried Duke's mayo yet, give it a shot. 
I would love for that to be someone's resolution. They're at a party, everyone's going around sharing how they're going to grow or improve in 2022. Some people are like, I'm gonna go on a diet, I wanna lose 20 pounds. Other people are like, I'm gonna pick up Italian, just really get a new skill. It gets to Randy, I'm trying Duke's Mayo. 2022 yep. is the year. If, if sometime in this, these 365 days, I'm eating Duke's Mayo. <laughs> that is a great resolution. <laughs> Well, I wonder if in 2022 we'll see Aaron Rodgers wear another uniform. There's been a lot of speculation, obviously, about where he might go after this offseason when he expressed the fact that he might not want to stay in Green Bay anymore. But he talked about it yesterday. And here is one of the quotes, Randy. There were several from this press conference. But he said, I'm just savoring this year as much as anything. It won't be something where I'll drag it out for months and months talking about his decision about his future. I'm not going to hold the team back from anything. And once I commit, and if it's committing to move forward, here it will be a quick decision so Aaron Rodgers letting everyone know that whenever he does make his decision he's not going to hold the Packers in purgatory for a while it's going to be a quick decision all right so presuming he decides that he wants to play elsewhere you are the 49ers and you are literally a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl championship team but you don't think that Jimmy G is the guy, and you don't know if Trey Lance is the guy. They made the phone call last year on draft day. The 49ers did. Do you revisit that if you're the 49ers? Because really, that's all they need is a quarterback that can throw them to victories. I certainly would. I would, too. I would be on the phone every day if I was them. Yep. And I would even consider moving Trey Lance. If if that's what it takes to get Rodgers so that you can... In the next two years, take advantage of Bosa and Warner and George Kittle and Debo and all the talent that they have. Because those guys, they a lot of them will be gone when Trey Lance is ready to win. I would absolutely be on board if I were the 49ers with trying that. And if you get Aaron Rodgers, you make every move possible to make sure that that team is a Super Bowl contender. Right. And to me, that would be the closest team to Super Bowl contention that he could go to. What about our Miami Dolphins? I think they're intriguing, but they just don't have the skill position players that San Francisco has. But they could make other moves, and Aaron Rodgers is the type of guy that elevates right. those around him. And they have some cap space, and they have, well, they'd have to well, use some of their their draft capital to get Rodgers, but they could still go out and get some other guys. They, they, they need another receiver, they need a tight end, they need a running back, and they need help on the offensive line still. And their defense is really, really good. Marinate on this, Rodgers to Waddle. That would be amazing. Rogers to Waddle. Yeah, Just all, like the sound of that. Yep, all of a sudden, Jalen Waddle becomes a serious vertical threat rather than just a guy that catches the pass five yards downfield and runs after the catch. And finally, Randy, yesterday we shared the news about the unfortunate passing of my friend and colleague and a lot of people in our industry's friend and colleague, Jeff Dickerson, who covered the Bears for a long time for ESPN and, of course, worked for ESPN 1000 in Chicago and ESPN Radio with Dickerson and Hood. And Jeff passed away from complications from colon cancer. He was only 44 years old. Two years prior, he had lost his wife, Caitlin, in 2019 to cancer as well. And they leave behind a son, Parker, who's 11 years old and... Um, Jeff's sister-in-law, who I actually believe is located here in the St. Louis area. Yeah, and DePere started a GoFundMe page for Parker. The initial goal was $100,000. And in 24 hours, Randy, they were able to raise... $2,000 
about $750,000 and it's still going. And I just wanted to shout out a couple organizations and, and people, and we don't have enough time to shout out everybody because there's been so many people who have had such incredible generosity donating to Parker's Fund. But it was great to see the Chicago Bears donate $25,000. We don't like NFL owners, Randy, here mm-hmm. in St. Louis, but a lot of them really stepped up to the plate to help this young boy who was dealt a truly horrific hand, like Jim Ursay, Jeffrey Laurie, who both donated twenty-five dollars or $10,000. We saw Andy Dalton, the quarterback, obviously, for the Bears, who I'm sure Jeff had to cover and say some things that were probably pretty difficult for mm-hmm. Andy Dalton to hear. He donated $5,000 and put a note on there for Parker. We're here if you need anything. We're praying for you. Anthony Rizzo, who is no longer in Chicago, donating $5,000. The Blackhawks donating money. Tom Ricketts donating money. You, you had so many people. The Seahawks, we don't like the Rams. They donated $2,500. So many people, not only in the sports, Sports world, but just around the country in general, coming together after a really sad situation to do something really positive. It's just been a very um, heartwarming thing to see. Yeah, to see people in a community rally, and this is the sports community, rallying around a, a youngster who has great needs. It really is heartwarming to see that uh, so many people have rallied around it. And if you're interested in donating, I've shared the page on my Twitter feed, at msmallman, and you still have time to donate if you'd like to. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we'll go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Dan Deardorff's Michigan Wolverines playing for a shot in the championship game tomorrow. We're going to talk to Dan about that and more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN 9 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend Dan Deardorff, kind enough to join us on this weekend that his Michigan Wolverines will be playing in the national semifinals. An exciting weekend for Daniel. Good morning and Happy New Year. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you guys? Everything's good. How excited are you for this weekend? Well, it's uh, uh, it's an event that doesn't come along every year. So yes, I'm I'm excited, like every Michigan fan is. Just it's uh, some accomplishment to be uh, what the to do what Michigan accomplished this year. A in the AP top twenty-five uh, on opening weekend, Michigan was unranked, and they've gone from unranked to number two in the country that's uh, uh that's a pretty successful season dan a tough assignment against number three georgia from michigan when you look at this georgia team how do you think michigan walks away with the victory well they got to play uh, uh i don't want to say a perfect game but they've got to play a clean game we can't uh, uh you know and these are the age-old principles of the game of football but uh we can't uh, turn it over we can't make uh, uh, dumb pre-snap penalties. Uh, we're, we're just going to have to play smart, intelligent, aggressive football because uh, this Georgia team is just full of uh, tremendous athletes uh, on both sides of the football. I, uh, you know the, the, the rating system. You know, Mizzou is making a big deal about getting 
Luther Burden because he was a five-star uh, athlete. Well, five-star rated high school kids are, are hard to come by. Uh, there aren't that many of them out there. Uh, uh, Mizzou hadn't recruited one in over a decade. I think Michigan has three, maybe four. Georgia has 17 <laughs> kids that were five-star players. It's it's amazing what they're able to do. And, Dan, I want to go back to uh, Michigan because Hassan Haskins, running back from Eureka right here in St. Louis, he only got two Division One offers, didn't he? Yep, he was a three-star rated kid, uh, at basically, and, and Michigan uh, wanted to make him a linebacker. Uh, they didn't, uh, even when he got to Ann Arbor, they they didn't realize, oh, my God, look at this hidden gem we've got at running back. Uh, they were going to turn him into a linebacker, and he really kind of just forced his way into the backfield. And what a great story, and what a great kid he is. He's everything you really like about uh, uh, college football, just hardworking, tough, gritty, and and Hassan Haskins uh, makes everybody here in St. Louis, uh, you know, he's from the city of St. Louis and Eureka High School. I mean, it's just everyone here should be very proud of him. Hey, Dan, you just used some words that I describe the way we think football should be, hardworking, tough, gritty. You have to be really happy with the way that Jim Harbaugh has played the game. And I know that the Wolverines have gone to the spread offense and they're playing stylistically a lot like other teams. But philosophically, he seems to share more of an old school approach than a lot of schools do. Well, that uh, we were the last, pretty much the last major program to the party when it came to going to the spread offense and, and the plays coming in from the sideline. Uh, Jim Harbaugh ran an NFL offense. The play was called in the huddle. It was NFL verbiage, and and he did that up until three years ago. And uh, it he realized that it wasn't working anymore. So uh, we have finally made the adjustment to the rest of college football. But the rest of it hasn't changed. For a former quarterback that you would think would want to run nothing but passing plays, and down-the-field shots and all this and all that, uh, the Steve Spurriers of the world, Jim Harbaugh is exactly the opposite. If he could, he would run it every single down of the game. (laughs) Dan, some sad news that we got in the sports world this week with the passing of John Madden, Hall of Fame coach, broadcasting icon, and the face of football for so many people, especially through his video game. But as someone that knew him, he had such a big personality. Can you give us your favorite John Madden story, but away from the field or away from the mic? Oh, it's, you know, it, it's more about when you're around John, uh, how he, he just energized everyone around him. He had such an infectious uh, personality and he loved to talk. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he, he would always hang out in the lobby of the hotel because I, I just don't think he wanted to be by himself in his room. So John was always holding court. And uh, I will say this, he, uh, he paid me a tremendous compliment one time when I was still an active player with the Cardinals. Uh, uh, He was coaching the AFC pro bowl team and I was playing on the NFC team and we had a joint function somewhere. 
And you got to excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold. But John came up to me and he said, you know, my guys don't like you very much. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, well, geez, why is that, coach? And he said, because I got Hannafin to send me a bunch of your practice tape and I make them watch you and your drive blocking uh, uh, practices. And they're going, I'm tired of watching this SOB and blah, 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 blah. But it was it was a heck of a compliment, and I've never forgotten it. It's incredible to think, Dan, isn't it, that he was the defensive coordinator on a staff where Don Coriel was the head coach at San Diego State and Jim Hannafin was on that staff too. That must have really been something. Yeah, they were all the, the, the California mafia, that whole uh, connection from out there. And John was uh, – you know, I, I think everybody needs to remember that John's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a coach. Uh, he's not in there as a broadcaster or a video game guy. John's in there uh, for his coaching accomplishments. And if it wasn't for the fact that he had to quit because of his claustrophobia and couldn't get on an airplane, uh, who knows what he might have accomplished if he'd have kept at it for another 20 years. Yeah, he was an incredible coach. You're right, Dan. And also uh, just a brilliant broadcaster. I had been going back and watching a lot of his clips, and he had a real gift, and you possess this as well. You're both football savants. You know more about the game of football than most people could ever dream of, but you're still able to describe the way in a game that's palatable and entertaining for the average fan and the average consumer. Is that something that you were taught how to do or that you ever discussed with John? Because I think a lot of broadcasters today don't necessarily have that gift. Well, I just thank you. Uh, uh, I, I think too many broadcasters today uh, are trying to impress football scouts or coaches with how technical they've become during uh, uh, a broadcast. And uh, I think a lot of the terminology, when you start talking about rollover zones and, and all this and all that, uh, that, I just go by my wife who knows more about football than just about any woman I know. I said, what did you think about that? And she goes, the minute that starts, I just tune it out. <laughs> and, and John was never like that. John was, John made it, he made the broadcasting style famous of what it would sound like if you walked in and sat down at a bar and John was on the bar stool next to you and you were both watching the game on TV and you are carrying on a conversation. That's to me. That's the way John Madden always sounded, and that that accessibility, that that possibility of finding him at that bar stool, I think was a great big part of his success. Dan Deardorff with us on 101 ESPN, and Dan. Uh... He worked a lot with Jack Buck. You, especially in your formative years as an analyst, worked with Jack. Is it any coincidence that you and John Madden and people that worked with Jack Buck had so much fun and made the broadcast as much fun as it was? Well, that's uh, I, I, I can't speak for Jack's influence on John. I can only speak to Jack's influence on me, and it was monumental. I uh, I, I, I was never able to repay Jack Buck uh, for what he taught me, the way he worked with me, the way he talked to me about broadcasting style and 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 the do's and the don'ts. So um, I, I I can just tell you this: 
um, uh, in an era, in, in a business that's dominated by glamour position players, uh, basically the quarterback position, uh, the fact that uh, John Madden and I were offensive linemen, uh, I, I, I wear that badge very proudly. <laughs> hey, wh- one more thing about John Madden, because my son obviously grows up as a, somebody who's involved with sports around me and knows a lot about it. And most of what he learned about football came from that Madden game. He would go out every training camp and he would get that Madden game on the midnight that it came out and he'd play it until three in the morning and played his teams and learned a lot about football. And it helped him when he played football. That's one aspect to John Madden about teaching the game, not only as a broadcaster, but so many young people, Dan, know the game of football and know some of the intricacies of football because of the fact that they played the Madden video game. And it's kind of hard to believe, but there's a whole generation out there that probably doesn't even know that he used to be the head coach of the Raiders. Uh, They know him because of that video game. I'm not the guy to ask. I've never played a video game in my life. The only thing I know about Madden uh, uh, video game is that it made John astonishingly rich. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's a, that, that's a pretty good thing no. to have. Yeah, astonishingly so not rich only is was good. John the highest paid analyst in the history of the business until Tony Romo came along. But, boy, that video game, I, I'm, sure the, I'm sure it was coming in so quickly John couldn't even keep track of it. Well, Dan, I am really excited for Michigan. You know that I listen to your broadcasts all the time. Because of Dan Jerdorf, by proxy, I'm, I'm a Michigan fan, so I'm rooting hard for the Wolverines tomorrow and then hopefully in the championship game. But either way, it's going to be fun. It's great to be in this position. Uh, it's been a fun year uh, to beat Ohio State, to be the Big Ten champion. Uh, we're a uh, seven- or eight-point underdog to Georgia. The way I'm looking at it, we're playing on house money right now. So... Uh, we should be loose and ready to go. And, uh, hey, you know what? We'll uh, we'll show up. We'll play. No doubt about it. Enjoyed the time, and we always love having you on, Dan. You know that. And Happy New Year. Have a great 2022. Uh, same to both of you. Thank you. Happy New Year to everybody. See you later. That is the great Dan Deardorff on 101 ESPN, Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Fame broadcaster mm-hmm. and Hall of Fame player. Next up, David Perron is back, and that means he's back with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. David Perron, and he joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN, driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Randy and Michelle, and it was great to see number 57 back on the ice last night in the Blues' 4-2 win over Edmonton at Enterprise Center. And it's great to have David Perron back on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Great to have you with us. Good morning. I'm doing well. How's it going? Good. We, we missed you, and uh, you just had to deal with so much, and that must have been such a hassle for you. How much did you miss, first of all, us, and second of all, <laughs> hockey while you were out? Yeah, well, 
I mean, obviously, I miss everything. Miss the uh, routine of going to the rink and and just worrying about who we're going to play next, basically. And uh, anytime you deal with that type of injury, obviously, it's it's not a good spot to be in. But uh, at the same time, I think uh, the team was really supportive. The players, uh, everyone, uh, were were awesome to me and. I think that we managed it the right way. Uh, it's probably uh, one of those that I was ready to come back or close to uh, right right before the, the holiday there. And then with the, the schedule uh, uh, postponing games and, and such, uh, kind of changed the plan. But uh, I'm glad I was able to play one before the Winter Classic at least. So uh, just kind of get comfortable again on the ice and all that and was a good uh, team win last night. How long does it take you to feel comfortable again, David? I know you're skating before the game last night, but how quickly do you feel like you're comfortable and you're back to game speed? Is it soon as you get back out there one game and hit the ice, or does it take a couple games for you to feel like you're back to yourself? Yeah, well, I, I think as you get older, you kind of you know like um, your routine is very important before the game. You just kind of get in that uh, good state of mind there uh basically and uh not gonna lie though i I never really complained about ice time and there's a point last night that i was like wow i I think i'm playing a little too much right now (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so uh those that know me around the room they they, they know uh players and myself never complain about having too much ice time but i think i was uh dancing on a fine line yesterday and uh obviously chief wanted to have uh O'Reilly's line a lot against McDavid's line, so we knew that we'd have a lot of ice time. But uh, I think I got more comfortable as the game went on. I would say that towards the end of the first period, towards uh, halfway through the second, I was starting to get a little bit more tired than, than maybe I'm I'm used to. And then uh, I felt like I got another level in the third, which uh, was encouraging for me. David, a lot of times when a player is out and the team is struggling, you, you really get frustrated and you say, man, I wish I could be back in there to help my team. Does it make it a little easier? And, and you, we know you want to play, but it, does it make yeah. it a little easier to miss games when you know the team is piling up points while you're not there? Yeah, well, I, first of all, of, of course, it's awesome. Uh, it gives you a sense that uh, you don't have to rush anything as much. Um, obviously, I think that what I was feeling bad about is uh, – uh, what what army and everyone had to deal deal with with the cap and uh, playing shorthanded a few times there, which uh, was not a comfortable situation for anyone. Um, but the good thing, like you said, you, you see guys that are hungry, that are just happy to be here. And uh, Torochenko, Walker, Pekka, Lindgren. Uh, I mean, a lot of those guys just came in and, and played some really solid hockey, and, and kind of shows uh, how deep we are as a team, as an organization. Uh, and how important that the, those guys, uh, when they bring that type of passion, that type of energy on the fourth line, it can really uh, translate a lot of energy into the lineup, and uh, they did a really good job. David, I think you need to come on our show the day after a game because it feels like every time we do that, Vladimir Tarasenko has a really great performance <laughs> the night before, and I have to ask you about him. But that Thomas Kairou tarasenko line was great last night. What were you seeing out of them? How did those three complement one another? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they have uh, really good speed. I think they're really good rush players. Uh, when they get into the neutral zone, they can really make the other team pay if they don't cover them well, starting in our defensive zone, going into uh, the attack, basically. And, uh, I mean, Cairo and, and Vladi are really good at backing off defensemen, and I guess so is Tomer as well. So, um, no, it's, it, it was a really impressive performance by them last night. And I think 
Vladdy himself, uh, I mean, it's not just last night. It's basically every game this year he's had an impact, and uh, it's, uh, it's great to see for him. I think he's having fun playing hockey uh, right now and, and this season. And, uh, I mean, that's uh, after the last couple of years that he's had, I think, on a personal level, injury-wise, all that stuff. Uh, it's probably a good feeling. David Brom with us on 101 ESPN. And, David, we know you're a great family guy. You take your kids to school. And I have to believe that even though, again, you wanted to play, having those extra few days for Christmas, being around kids at that time of year and, and not having the distractions of hockey was pretty cool. Yeah, well, it puts uh, things in perspective for sure. And that's, uh, like you said, that's all you can fall back to when uh, when you go through a tough time, whether it's injury or something else. You got to look at that that stuff. And uh, it was, uh, as a family, definitely our best Christmas, I think. Uh, yes, our kids are four and six years old. And uh, just kind of the magic uh, happening through their eyes uh, is pretty special. And you want to keep kind of uh, feeding that. So uh, it was uh, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. I'm glad you got your t- that time with your family. Well, David, on the outside, we're really excited because your team is finally getting healthy. We're getting you guys uh, to see you guys play together really for the first time this season. And we're looking forward to seeing what your team can be when they're all together and healthy. Do you think you've gotten a real sense of the identity of your team or what you guys are capable of because of all the disruptions that you've had to deal with so far? Uh I mean, it's, it's tough to say because it does change a lot of things. But you have everyone in a lineup. And, again, like guys are used to playing so many minutes. And it's great. You want to be out there as much as possible. And maybe other guys uh, lose certain roles, whatever they have. Maybe some of them even were performing, doing a great job in that role. And now all of a sudden you, you got guys back and maybe they don't. Offensive side, power play, penalty killing, whatever it is. And. Um, it can uh, change a few things. We'll see. We'll have to deal with this, and uh, it's obviously a good problem to have when you have, uh, in a way, uh, too many good players. But um, I think, like you said, we got to find our keep finding our team identity when we have those guys back. I'm assuming that it gets pretty cold in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Uh, I, I can't imagine, though, that uh, you've had to play a game lately where the high is like zero, and it might get down to minus 15. That's what it'll be for the Winter Classic. So. David Perron, what's the key to staying warm when you're outside on an ice rink? <laughs> I'll tell Chief to play as much as many minutes as I did last night. That's the only way. So, um, I, I, I think, obviously, it's going to be a no-brainer. You have to wear more layers than you do normally, just kind of normal stuff. Uh, I think we're pretty fortunate. The bench is uh, in the Winter Classic uh, against Chicago. Uh, at Bush Stadium, more heated, so I'm assuming it's going to be the same thing. Um, I was expecting maybe it would move up the, the time of the game so that we do have a little bit of a warmer day, but um, I guess it's probably a lot of tough things to do on their part. So uh, we'll, have, we'll just have to deal with it. I think it's important to keep everyone in the game, keep everyone moving. Uh, you, you don't want to have a guy sitting there for a long time that way. Uh, he, he's not going to have any legs, not going to have any energy. And uh, I think it's it's even more important for that game. And really, we got to kind of just take that game, uh, make it as normal as possible. I know it's going to be a lot of stuff around it, a lot of fun, uh, great experience to have our family come there. But at the same time, it's just it, the, the sooner you make it a, as much a normal game as you can, that, that's how you perform your best, I think. And I'm, I'm yeah, looking to do that. David, you participated in the Winter Classic in 2017, and obviously it's a very unique experience. But from a player's perspective, what about it sets it apart from other games? 
Well, I think we're going to play in front of 80,000 people. It's just kind of a stage that uh, with everything happening around the world right now, we knew that the NHL was trying everything they could to, to make that game happen. Uh, so that kind of makes it special right there. Just the fact, again, that they, uh, they have a plane uh, traveling for our family. It's just kind of a bigger event. It starts the new year, new year off as well. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're fortunate uh, as an organization to be a part of this. Like, it's not something when those games started, I don't know how long ago, 15, 20 years ago, that you, you didn't really hear the Blues uh, organization be a part of those too often. So uh, I think winning the Cup, having that one uh, in uh, Bush Stadium, all that stuff, I think it helped the organization. And anytime we can do that, it's great to, to push that city forward. Hey, David, last thing. A lot of analysts show up on this station and they're saying, hey, we kind of slept on the Blues before this season. We didn't realize they were going to be this good again. And we know that once they get their guys back, they can be even better. And now teams or analysts are looking at the Blues as a Stanley Cup championship contender again. Is there any desire, because we know that you guys have phones and you have the Internet, is there any desire to prove people wrong when they do sleep on you? Um, I mean, yeah. Like I think we've never lost faith in our room that we would be a Stanley Cup contender. And obviously every time uh, playoff uh, happens like last year or the year before when we went to a bubble loss to Vancouver in the first round, people are going to doubt you. Um, I'm, I'm sure even within our team, they're going to look at every aspect every single year, and uh, you never know how it's going to turn out. But at this, having said that, I think there's also, I mean, at this point, 15 other teams probably that are in a similar situation as us. And we just got to keep battling, keep gathering points, keep separating ourselves from, from bottom teams. And uh, I think it just builds our confidence and it builds our team identity. And that way we know we, how we have to play to have success. And uh, the more you carry that forward, uh, who knows where it's going to take us. But uh, definitely that's our goal. We will be watching on Saturday, and it'll be fun. And we wish you the best of years in 2022. David, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, sounds good. Happy New Year. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care. That is David Perron on 101 ESPN. Great to have him back with us and great to have him back out on the ice as well. Yeah, we missed him a lot in both endeavors. Coming up as we get ready for the Winter Classic, one of the guys who played in the alumni game and had a great time is former Blue Larry Patey, one of the really nice Blues. Well, they're all really nice, but one of the really great guys in our town. Larry Patey is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We head back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and one of our favorite Blues alumni is Larry Patey, one of the best defensive forwards in Blues history, part of the Blues alumni, played in the Winter Classic alumni game a few years ago as the Blues get ready to participate in another Winter Classic on Saturday in St. Paul, Minneapolis slash St. Paul. Larry Patey, great to have you with us. That's Michelle Smallman. This is Randy Carricker. How are you doing this morning? Randy, doing well. Thanks. Good to hear from you. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, we've been talking to guys all week about how fun it was to participate in the alumni game the other day. Give us your recollections of five years ago and what it was like for you. Well, you know what? It was one of those deals where uh, I think we were at one of our alumni skates and uh, other Bruce Affleck, uh, Tom Stillman mentioned to me that I was going to be involved in it and be able to play. And it was pretty special, I, special for me personally, but when I think of 
how special it was to have it in St. Louis, more of a small market town, as they always say. Uh, it was huge just, you know, for the new, newer hockey fans, for the people that have been waiting for years and years for that cup. And, uh, you know, to have the outdoor gate come in uh, the way it did and how it was all portrayed, I think was very special for all of us. Larry, what was it like to be in the dressing room for that game? We talked to Kelly Chase, and he talked about how when you step away from the game, you you certainly miss the action, but what you miss most is the camaraderie and being around your teammates. So what was it like for you to be not only a part of that game, but to be around so many great Blues legends in that locker room? Well, you know, it's, as I said earlier, very special. And besides the, the fellows, the players that were actually playing, there were numerous other guys that were come, that had come into town and been part of it. And, you know, here I, I go to sit down in my uh, stall there, and, of course, Mr. Wayne Gretzky's on my left, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Miss Brett's on, the, on my other side. It's like, what am I doing here type of thing. But, uh, you know, for a lot of us it was very special. And, you know, for the Hall of Famers that played, which were a lot of them, uh, just made it that much more interesting and, and special. And, uh, you know, the, the whole – uh, atmosphere was such a, a different atmosphere from the, the standard and normal locker room, but uh, something uh, very special to me. Hey, Larry, what was it like? I mentioned off the top that you are one of the best defensive forwards in Blues history, and you would have to go head up on Gretzky in his prime in the early 80s. What was that like? Well, it was uh, interesting because whenever we didn't play with a great deal, you know, we did not like Chicago in, in our division where. You know, we saw them eight times a year or whatever. But uh, when they came to town, of course, you knew the records. You knew what was going on. And uh, to, to face them, I know Mike Zook and I split a lot of that time uh, against Gretzky. And, you know, it's like the face-off's over and where'd he go? And, you know, he kind of leaks away from everybody. And so when you head away from, you know, your position more or less, you're kind of out of the play a little bit, but he's always a step ahead of all of us. And he just makes that nice little pass or play that makes things happen. And don't forget, he played with an awful lot of Hall of Fame players mm -hmm. that, that you have to believe he helped them get to the Hall of Fame. But uh, it was just one of those things that you had to pay attention to because one, before you know it, he's behind the player or ahead of the play and uh, you weren't very close. Larry, the Blues alumni is so deep, and there's so many guys that are still involved in St. Louis and still involved within the organization. What do you think it is about this city or about the club that makes so many guys want to stick around and be a part of it? Boy, that's a real good question because, you know, if we go back and, you know, the days when I got here with Barkley and Bobby and, you know, Blake Dunlop, Bruce Affleck, myself, we had a, you know, small number and then, you know, those guys started to stay, stick around, stay in town. Jimmy Roberts, of course. Uh, you know, next thing you know, we had 50-plus guys here in, town, in families. And uh, I think when, when you look back, uh, if you played here for a few years, like I did, uh, almost nine years, it becomes your home, your, your family. Our daughter was born here in St. Louis. And, you know, it just you make a lot of friends, new friends, and things change. And I think that's true with most all the guys. They, you know, they come from big towns or little towns, and you know, especially kids, or the players that came from up north. The weather pattern here is a little bit different than northern Ontario, and or Saskatchewan, you know, Alberta. So I think that uh, really plays a part too, because uh, the people here accepted us, and we, you know, guys got good jobs and things went well, and 
uh, it just kept the numbers just kept adding up. And to this day, we we have, as you mentioned, a, a great deal of alumni here in town. Hey, Larry, a couple more things for you. Uh, the, first, this one. This is a text that we get from here in town. As a young high schooler, Larry Patey was my favorite player. Even wrote to him trying to get a jersey in 8081. He wrote back, said, thanks for the letter. If we get the cup, you get the sweater. Well, we all know what happened. As an adult, I did get a Patey number six throwback. Can you see if he would be willing to sign it? So if we have this uh, texter, get in touch with Blues alumni, and we'll provide that information. Would you be willing to sign the uh, Larry Patey throwback sweater. Absolutely. It's something we all look forward to and do on a daily basis. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll get that guy the information for Blues alumni. And the other question I had is, what have you done with your alumni sweater from the Winter Classic? Did you have it framed? Do you still have it at home? I still have it, and uh, it's not framed, but it's hanging with a couple other uh, older ones. And, uh, you know, again, just to say that, you know, the outdoor game that you participated was uh, pretty special. But that sweater's still hanging around. Well, we love that uh, you guys are in town and doing what you do for the community. It's remarkable. And we know that you're on the board of Blues alumni and do such great work in the community. Larry, good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time and Happy New Year. Hey, good talking to you. Happy New Year to all you folks. Take care. Larry Patey with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with... Our friends from BK and Ferrario. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman was telling me that uh, I better learn how to swim. The Doomsday Glacier, Randy, it's coming. There's a very scary and informative piece at Rolling Stone about the Thwaites Glacier and mm-hmm. how it's melting and how essentially if it breaks off that it's going to have serious ramifications for us as the human race, including potentially wiping out Miami. So we have about five to ten years until that could happen. So that's the bad news. <laughs> But the good news is, congratulations to the city of St. Louis. What's up? What do we do? Last year, 2020, 263 murders in the city. This year, down to 190. We've we've come down by 73 murders. All right, us. Yeah, here we go. Still pretty dangerous, but Yeah, that's still way too many. Let's get that number as close to zero as possible, if not even zero. But 2020, you would think the numbers would not be that high because everyone was supposed to be inside. But according to the story at Time Magazine, that was one of the reasons. People were just uptight uh, about being locked in. and so For real? Yeah. So the, they think that people being out actually has helped in the, the murder rate in the city of St. Louis. Wow. So. Well, good for us. I'm glad to see those numbers going down. Meanwhile, we will air the games tomorrow the, we've got the cotton bowl uh, at 1 30 and then the orange bowl which is a national semifinal at uh, 6 30 so you've got both of those and the fiesta bowl by the way is going to be aired on 101 espn as well but the big thing is we've got the semifinal games for you tomorrow michigan and georgia cincinnati and alabama and there are some things happening number one georgia's team is already locked down they their players say we aren't going anywhere we're we're wearing our masks Michigan defensive back Daxton Hill, all Big Ten selection, is not in Miami. 
Jim Harbaugh left open the possibility that Hill could join the team in time for the game. But according to Jim Harbaugh, quote, he's working through something right now. Oh. And they'll mo- know more today. That's a pretty big loss against Georgia. And their quarterbacking and receiver situation isn't the best. It's not like going against Alabama. But Georgia can still beat you. And you, if you lose a starting defensive back, an all-Big Ten defensive back, it's going to hurt you. As Dan Deardorff told us earlier this hour, Michigan's going to have to play nearly a perfect game in order to defeat Georgia. Yeah, and here's a guy that has... He's second on their team, 65 tackles, has a couple of interceptions. So that's a big thing. Michelle, I'm really intrigued. And for a long time, I said, no, I don't want to see a group of five team in the Final Four. And I said it had never happened because of the money. But you had to put Cincinnati in there, an unbeaten Cincinnati. And they beat Notre Dame, the only one-loss team uh, that's not in the Final Four. And then everybody else had at least two losses. So if you're going to be reasonable, you had to put Cincinnati in there. Now I'm excited to see what happens, though. Cincinnati did perform well in a bowl game last year, beat Auburn, I believe, and I'm intrigued to see what happens against Alabama. I don't feel great about what's going to happen for Cincinnati, but I've always liked the idea of the team did everything that was asked of them. Why not give them an opportunity? Well, now they get the opportunity that Central Florida never got. I am with you. I'm glad that they got this opportunity. But if we've learned anything from the playoff, it's that there's a pretty big disparity from teams that can make the playoffs and teams that can win the national championship. And I'm very interested to see which category Cincinnati falls in because they've done everything that's asked of them. This is a good team. But are they a team that's good enough to beat the likes of an Alabama and actually compete for a national championship? And can I give you a quote that's coming out of Nick Saban at this time right Mm -hmm. now that's making the rounds right now? Uh, So Dan Wolken had this. Nick Saban was asked if this Alabama team tested his patience. Here's the quote, Randy. I don't have any patience. So anything that happens is a test of my patience, including sitting in this chair right now. <laughs> I get it. I, from him, I totally get it. So Nick Saban, not in a great mood, ready to crush yeah. anything in his path. Okay, tell me and listen carefully and think about the teams that you think have a chance in any given year to win a national championship. There are 131 division uh, FBS teams, football bowl subdivision teams, 130 of them. Mm -hmm. I believe that 110 have zero chance to ever win a championship. I bet that number is even higher. I would almost go 120. Here's what I've given you. Uh, So Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, these are the teams, obviously, that have a chance. Now, you're talking just in general or this in, year specifically? In any given year. Okay, in any given year. Yeah. So, Bama, Auburn, LSU, A&M, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, and Texas, Baylor, they've been in a Final Four, USC, Washington, they've been in a Final Four, Oregon, I, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, they've been in a Final Four. I didn't re- even remember that. Notre Dame. Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and that's kind of an outlier. I'm not positive about Wisconsin. I would feel better about Wisconsin certain years than USC. Yeah, but USC has that ability. They're going to be awesome well, under Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, yeah. yeah. Florida State, they have. Clemson has. And then I have maybe Penn State, even though it's been a long time since they've been a, a, a national championship contender. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and maybe 20. So that's why I say 110 have no chance. You, and so I, I was being pretty liberal there because even though Baylor did make it, Baylor is not some a team that you say, okay, on an annual basis, they're going to have a chance. 
But I was trying to be real liberal there, real liberal. Yeah. And I've got 20 teams that have a chance. Tis the season. It's the holidays. You were being super generous. Yeah. And I would say out of that group, even in that group, I would take half of those and say they have a chance to be good. They don't have a chance to win a national yeah. championship. Yeah. And it, it'd have to take a magical year for them to win a national championship. I think you're looking at a program and you're looking at the history. You're looking at the resources. You're looking at the talent level in that state, the coach that they have. Those are all factors to make you believe that they mm-hmm. could have a chance. But after about week three, week four, it's the same thing. The cream rises to right. the crop, and you can essentially pick which four teams we're going to see at the end of this thing. Now, Cincinnati is obviously an interesting conversation point because of the circumstances. Um, and I think perhaps this year we've seen – well, I guess you know we still knew it would be Alabama. But there, there was more conversation, I think, this year than in some other years past. But – it's the same teams that you're going to see year in and year out while certain guys are in charge. And here, I look at it this way, Michelle. Missouri was maxed out by Gary Pinkle in 2013 and 2014. They lost to Auburn in the 2013 SEC Championship game 59-42. to Lost in 2014 42-13. They were also maxed out in 07 when they got they allowed 62 to Oklahoma and they were that was a really good Mizzou team the best that Mizzou could hope to be and they just got drilled by Oklahoma there are a number of schools 120 that we have 110 that just are never going to reach that level where even if they get to a, a championship game against the Alabamas or the Ohio States they aren't going to beat them that's true so there, that's where college football is. So that's why it's so cool for me to see Cincinnati. Even though I I believe they have zero chance of winning a national championship, I want to see what they do against Alabama. Maybe they shock the world. Could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah. Probably won't. It's though. not likely, but no. it could happen. <laughs> I'll be watching. I, I, will be, I will too, and I like it on New Year's Eve. Uh, this was great. We will have BK and Ferrario coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Uh how about Andrew Marsh getting in at 4 a.m. this morning from his trip to Arizona? And a total gamer here before the show, 6.15, 6.30, and <laughs> now he's snoring. But you know what? If you look up dedication in the dictionary, his picture is right there. Yep. Great job, Andrew. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. And, Michelle, this was fun. We will do it one more time tomorrow before a three-day weekend. It's hard to believe our last show of the year tomorrow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, we'll have to throw a party. Let's do it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe at Ballpark Village. Oh, you're going to be there. Get tickets now. It's still available. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.